Listeners, once again, you are listening to Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. This is a podcast where we three friends get together virtually until safe to do otherwise and talk about a movie, which we will spoil. We'll first talk about recently watched, which we will not spoil. At least, well, mild promises there. And uh, we thank the Moonrays for giving us this song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. Find their music on Apple Music or Amazon, where you could buy it digitally. Say hello to them on Facebook, where they are, The Moon Dash Rays. And we are not professional critics. That is going to be really apparent really soon. So, I'm Richard, I'm here with... (laughs) I'm Richard, I'm here with Will and Jolian. Guys, hello. Hello. Good day. All right, well, I should also mention that if we get the echoey robot stuttery thing happen... That's just Zoom. And uh, there's nothing you can really do about it. Are you... Are, 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 yeah. What t-shirt are you wearing? It's uh, Paul Heaston, our uh, our friend who was uh, on for the... Yeah, uh, I know him. Yeah, the Tremors. Yeah, yeah, you know him from the, sh- from the shop. Uh, yeah, it's a, an RV that he drew. It was printed by Indie Ink. And uh, it's uh, one of my weekend shirts. You know, casual wear. <laughs> <laughs> not my formal Not your form- formal shirts My formal t-shirts Not one of the formal shirts, yeah Yeah, with the tuxedo printed on it <laughs> mm-hmm. Do they still make those? I'm sure they do I wonder if somebody holds the, like, the patent for that Ah, you'd think somebody would have jumped on that uh, It's funny that I, I am going to talk about a Uh, uh documentary that i watched uh when well, we go right ahead do you want me to just jump into right you know get into that whole thing jump into it. it all right tell us the truth okay uh in addition to uh finishing up the available seasons of better call saul which are i think four seasons available i think there's a fifth one that is going to be hopefully dropped sometime in uh, February, which is the month we'll be in when this posts. Uh, I watched the rest of the episodes of that, which such a good show. And I'm still getting through the Breaking Bad rewatch. I think I have two or three episodes left. Again, you'll hear me say this uh, every previous episode. Wow, it moves a lot faster than I remember. But then again, Will pointed out that... <coughs> You were waiting a week every time previously, so you had some tension. You also didn't know what was going to happen. That, there, yeah, there's that too. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil anything, really. 
Go ahead. And you weren't high back then. I was not high. That's true. Uh, anyway, uh, that was that was all good. I enjoyed that. Uh, there is nothing bad about rewatching something good except for noticing stuff that pacing is different or whatever. And it's kind of like, oh, man, you, there's nothing like seeing it for the first time. I watched a documentary called Halloween in a Box. And uh, this is uh, written and directed by Rob Capril. Let's see. Capril. Caprilozzi. Rob Caprilozzi. Uh, it stars other people you haven't heard of. Nick Banks, John Simino, and Ra- Roy Thomas. And what this is basically is uh, it's about the history of those Halloween costumes with the vacuform mask and the smock costume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Collegeville or Ben Cooper. And there was another one for a while, but, uh, most of these companies were around for a lot longer than you would think. And then terrible things happened that maybe put them out of business. Uh, you have some people who used to work there, some artists and some, uh, people who were heir to the throne of like Ben Cooper and whatnot. And some really cool, uh, archival footage, obviously contributed by people who had home movie cameras and kids dressed up with the vacuform masks and the smock costumes. So they had a, a lot of interesting stuff to say about it. And, uh, and of course the part about this that gets really interesting is in 1982 when the Tylenol poisonings happened, uh, and you have to be of a certain age to remember that, uh, people got freaked out cause Halloween was coming. And so they tried to cancel Halloween and, uh, the different companies that made costumes and masks got together and said, we can't, we can't get tanked by this. This is terrible. And they came up with a whole pamphlet, like a 36 page or something pamphlet, uh, book booklet sort of, uh, just something on newsprint with two or three colors. So they could just say here, don't cancel Halloween, do this stuff instead. So they had great ideas for having different kinds of parties, different kinds of get togethers, safe ways to handle the candy and make sure it's safe because it was cyanide poisoning. And they thought, what if someone does it to the Halloween candy? And, uh, they did well enough to survive that year. And then when tamper evident, uh, packaging became standard, then in subsequent years, it wasn't such a problem. So that was the part that I was kind of braced for it to, you know, to show up in the 90 minute documentary and sure enough, they covered it, but I didn't know about their, their Halloween, uh, their safe Halloween, uh, book that they distributed. So this group got together and they just said, let's all throw in money, get this thing printed, distribute it for free. Hopefully people have these little parties, get togethers, parades, whatever it is and still buy our costumes. And the effect that it had was that people said, well, if we're going to be all, instead of walking down the street begging for candy, if we're going to be all like having costume contests, let's spend a little more on masks and stuff. So they actually did better than they would have thought because people kind of had to up their game a little bit to try and win the costume contest. Is that the Roy Thomas you mentioned, the comics writer? Uh, I believe that was because he talked about uh, 
the origin of Spider-Man. And uh, I think that is probably who it, who it was because uh, he did like the Red Sonja comic book, I want to say. He, yeah, yeah he, he did tons of comics from the 60s onward. Yeah, yeah. Ca- Captain Marvel and whatnot. Yeah, he was, I think he's the one that they, they, uh, they went to to ask about, hey, did Jack Kirby really create Spider-Man as a costume before, um, what's his name? Uh, Ditko. Ditko, yeah. Mike, was it Mike? No. Steve. Uh, Steve. <laughs> Steve Ditko. Uh, and the idea here is that when you look at the costume that was either Ben Cooper or College Town, I don't, I don't know which one it was, it does have similarities to the Amazing Spider-Man. And it was created by Jack Kirby. So you could say Jack Kirby came up with the, uh, the basic idea of the costume before it was turned into a superhero. And uh, one of the other interesting things that came up, and I want to say it was Ben Cooper, coined the term superhero, and they had that term patented uh, or copyrighted, I'm not sure which. But uh, they came up with it because they said, okay, you've got heroes, but then you've got these characters from comic books that have superpowers. So they, they coined the term superhero. And that was a separate category of costume for them. So that was pretty cool. I mean, it's an interesting thing. Uh, it's available on Amazon. That's where I watched it. And uh, it was neat. I liked it a lot. Then... On a much darker note, I watched that Night Stalker limited series on uh, on Netflix, and that was pretty dark. Um, the good thing about it was it was more from the perspective of what was law enforcement doing to find this guy and catch him, and how many close calls did they have to where they almost caught him, and then how did they finally get this guy? And uh, Richard Ramirez, the the Night Stalker. So this is, uh, I think it was four parts. Uh, Anyway, you meet some of the detectives and a a lot of archival footage, a lot of, uh, you know, news footage and just stuff from the neighborhoods where people were interviewed and talking about it. And it doesn't sensationalize him. It kind of shows him for the sad, demented horrible character that he was the worst, most shocking part of it for me. And this isn't really much of a spoiler was that there were women who were very attracted to him after he was arrested and put in jail. And, uh, they were send, sending provocative pictures and, and, uh, they're very, uh, attracted to him, which I found really creepy, but that one is definitely worth a look. And then, um, I watched this week's movie. So who wants to go next? Will? Okay. Uh, still making my way through Deep Space Nine. Uh, <laughs> the worst episode ever was this week. Um, <laughs> what happened? I'm not, sure the, I'm not sure the number, but I'm going to guess season... Uh, I know it's season six, but I'm going to guess maybe 10 or 11 uh, episode number. Uh it was about Odo, who is the shapeshifter, learning how to be a lounge singer in Vegas on the Hall of Sweet. 
Oh, God. Starred, guest starred uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. Really? And was so bad, we fast forward through it. Wow. <laughs> you would have preferred a clip uh, show. So what? You would have preferred a clip show. I would have. I really, really would have. It was terrible. The time that Ross the, and Joey went to the holodeck and they switched heads and they couldn't switch them back. Yeah. So bad. And then we watched The Expanse today, uh, which is still really good. I uh, feel like we ended the first uh, real storyline and now I guess going into the second one I guess the second one um, really good show um, I feel like I need a little bit of a break after a couple episodes though they're fairly stressful but uh, pretty good and that's it other than some YouTube videos and whatnot. did you feel the same way about Lovecraft Country like you have to take a break after an episode or two? Yeah, but not for the same reason. I don't think. Fair enough. Lovecraft Country was more like, let's take the time to kind of sit on an episode before we move on to the next one. Kind of think about it. Whereas like, uh, Alice in Borderland and The Expanse, although not as much as Alice in Borderland, it's more like, oof, my anxiety is pushed way up. <laughs> Stressful situation. Yeah. Anxiety will do that. Not that there aren't stressful, anxious, or anxiety-ridden uh, moments in Lovecraft Country. Uh, not quite the same. Well, one thing we could say about that is if they're making you tense, they're doing a good job in the writing and, well, probably the acting and directing. But uh, that's what you want to see. You know, if it can elicit such, you know, feelings from us as viewers, especially those of us who have crammed a lot of things into our eye holes, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's not the worst. To, uh, to feel that and and need to take a breather from it. I think that's pretty cool. That's it for me. Julian. Okay. Um, so I've uh, been doing a lot of drawing. Uh, there's a podcast on BBC called uh, Battersea Poltergeist. And it's about this uh, poltergeist story from uh, the 50s. Um, so about... 20 years or so before the Enfield poltergeist. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, this is uh, eight episodes. They have um, uh, the presenter has tracked down the survivors. Uh, and then there's also dramatized sections. Um, and Toby Jones plays the father. Um, but it, it, uh, I didn't know much about this case. All I heard was that there was this uh you know, his usual story with these things. There was, a, there was a teenage girl, I think her name was Shirley, and she was 14, 15, and uh, 
uh, one day she woke up and she found this key under a pillow. She didn't know where it came from. And then uh, knocking started. And uh, after that, things started flying around the room, um, according to the story. And uh, uh, and then they, uh, it, it get, get, I don't want to give it away, but it gets, uh, it gets pretty crazy, <laughs> but um, uh, it's a it's a very well produced, uh, really good uh, soundscape, and uh, uh, they've I forget their names, but uh, Nadine Shah is one of the people doing the soundtrack, so that's good as well. Um, so anyway, that's up to uh, episode three as of this weekend. Um, yeah, Battersea Poltergeist. Are they are they about um, an hour long, or how long are they? Uh, Half an hour, I think. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I saw Cross of the Devil, uh, which is it's a Anglo-Spanish movie from 1975, written by uh, Jacinto Molina, uh, Paul Nashi, uh, directed by John Gilling, who'd done a bunch of Hammer movies like Plague of the Zombies and The Reptile and stuff. Oh, and cool. uh, you wouldn't recognise him from this. It's just, it just. Uh, it's not very good at all. Um, it's uh, it gets lumped in with the Blind Dead series, which is why I, I felt the need to see it um, because you've uh, uh, there's this uh, ruins are haunted by the Knights Templar, and uh, but this in this they're not blind. They got kind of crusty faces, but they've all all been uh, cleaned and laundered very recently. They're all clean cut, you know, not, not like in the Blind Dead series. And uh, and in this movie, they're only on screen for about two minutes, and you know they they pop up. The hero kills a lot of them, <laughs> <laughs> and two minutes later they're gone. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was very disappointing. Um, I saw uh, Bobby Joe and the Outlaw from 1975, also uh, it's directed by Mark Lester, who's famous for uh, Commando and Roller Boogie and uh, Class of 1984. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, this is your classic uh, mid seventies American international. Uh, you know, uh, people decide to go on a crime spree like um, Bonnie and Clyde, and uh, you know, muscle car chases and police cars turning over ensue. Uh, lots of squibs going off. Um, uh, yeah, this was you know it's quite amiable and fun, um, uh, but this one stars Marjo Gortner as the guy who's obsessed with Billy, Billy the Kid. And uh, his girlfriend is Linda Carter. Um, so uh, she, nice. she made this movie and then it got released when she, when she became Wonder Woman, much to her embarrassment because there's lots of nude scenes in it. Oh. And uh, uh, so, it, yeah, ARP did pretty well off this one. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was Bobby Joe and the Outlaw. And then... Uh, uh, been watching more of the uh, Who Done It films they they were showing this month on TCM. Uh, so I watched uh, Phantom of Crestwood uh, from 1932. Uh, this is a classic old dark house mystery. Uh, this is about um, there's this uh, rich woman named Jenny Wren, and she's got the dirt and a bunch of uh, in-laws and relatives. She gathers all the the poshos at her ranch which is uh, on a cliffside in uh, california 
and it's also the only road up to it is uh, like this mountain road and there's an avalanche and there's a storm so everyone's cut off and uh, this um, uh, this luminous death mask ghost starts haunting her and uh, that's pretty creepy it's a good mask um, but also at this uh, place are a bunch of gangsters and the leader of them is played by Ricardo Cortez. Uh, and his, uh, his character name is Gary Curtis, but he tells everyone that his name is Farns Barnes. <laughs> I don't know if he's any relative of yours, Will. Um, but, uh, oh, by the way, Bob Joe and the Outlaws filmed in New Mexico, if you want to see the old horns. Uh, anyway, Phantom of Crestwood. Um, uh, this was... Um, uh, an RKO movie and what they did they had a six episode radio series and then uh, it ended on a cliffhanger and then people uh, they ran this competition where you would send in your ideas of how it should end and then they brought out the movie and then you had to go and see the movie to see how it all ended um, so it was a good gimmick um, so uh, what, what the gangsters find, uh, they're there to actually steal some, something um, but uh, they once the murders start, um, they realise that they have to solve this crime before the cops get through the roadblock. Uh, otherwise, if the cops arrive and catch the gangsters, they're going to be done for the murders and and uh, hanged. Um, so uh, you know they desperately try to solve this, and uh, and then there's this uh, the killer has got these uh, huge darts and. <laughs> And uh, is killing people by whacking the darts in the backs of their necks. Um, so it's, it's it's got a you know it's quite it's pre-code, so it's uh, surprisingly. I mean, it's nothing nowadays, but it's surprisingly uh, graphic for the day. Um, uh, executive produced by Marion C. Cooper the year before he did King Kong. Wow. Um, so anyway, uh, that that was very fun. Um, so that is it for me. Did you see the previews for uh, Kong versus Godzilla? Yeah, I watched yeah. the trailer. Holy wow! That, yeah, <laughs> that that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Is it Kong yeah. versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong? I, uh, I does it matter? <laughs> I mean, if you Googled it, you'd get the right results. So right. I think it's Godzilla versus Kong. Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. Doesn't matter. When It'll does be it come out. Is it June that they have it scheduled for? No, I think it's pretty soon. They're going to put it out on HBO Max and uh, a few Ooh. theaters. Hmm. Yeah. That's here. Let me look it up real quick so we're not just floundering with the information here. Okay. It is going to be released. When uh, <laughs> I like people also ask, will Godzilla win in Godzilla versus Kong? Well, <sighs> you big baby, why don't you wait and see? <laughs> Jeez, uh, it's supposed to be at the end of March. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So cool. All right, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, HBO Max currently has Kong Skull Island available, so that's pretty, oh yeah, that's good. It looks oh, great. Right. I was yeah, going to watch that one, um, and it wasn't available maybe a month ago. So that's good to know. Yeah, it's it's available now. 
So, so do you both have HBO Max? Yes. Uh, because of other people, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, I thought they were going to somehow uh, curtail that whole thing, and um, apparently they did not. Because they made the old app go away. And okay. they were like a HBO Go or whatever it was. I used to call it Hobo Go. Uh, yeah. That went away. They're like, nope, nope, won't work anymore. Have to download the new one. And I think maybe they were just cleaning house on anybody who was just uh, using it who somebody didn't know to remove them. I don't know. But you can you can have five profiles just like Netflix. You can have five profiles for HBO Max. And I'm on a friend's HBO Max. So there it is. Did did you watch uh, Wonder Woman? Yeah, we watched it uh, the day after it came out. I think it came out on Christmas and we watched it the next day, the 26th. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I liked it. It was, was, you know what, if you expected something other than what you got, that's your problem. (laughs) (laughs) Some people were like, well, it didn't do exactly what I wanted it to do. What did you think a Wonder Woman movie set in the 80s was going to do? You got a cameo from Linda Carter. What else do you want? Right. You yeah. So. Go, go watch Bobby Joe and the Outlaw. That would popularize out. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we'll, uh, we'll have to Google Linda Carter nude and then, uh, you know, just save the trouble of watching the whole movie if you don't want to. <laughs> so... Uh, so, Julian, you picked this movie. How did you find it? Uh, well, I, I was looking for recommendations on uh, recent Indian horror movies from our friend Tim, who writes a, bit, a lot about them. He, he often goes to India. He uh, He's the editor of uh, Monster, uh, Monster International, and one of the editors of Wings Chop Magazine, so I, I do a lot of stuff with him. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's really into Indian movies. He's, he just jumped in feet first, uh, couldn't speak the language at all to start with, uh, but it, you know, you, when you're into uh, obscure movies, you just like when you come across a country with a, a fantasy movie output that you haven't seen before, you just like gobble it up as fast as you can. Um, so yeah, he's he's watched tons and tons and tons on it, like hundreds. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I said uh, uh, I'm. I really like Indian movies, but with horror movies, I find them, they're usually pretty lame, they're watered down, they're often poor remakes of Western hits or Japanese hits. Um, uh, are there any really good ones out there? I know, I know there's some, uh, you know, good old fashioned ghost stories in the 60s, like uh, Mahal and so on. Uh, but are there any good new ones? Because uh, none of the new ones I've seen have really impressed me. Uh, none of them has scared me. Um, you know, I, I find uh, Indian cinema kind of falls down when it gets to the horror genre. So he said, I'll oh, watch Tumbad. So uh, I thought, all right, I'll, I'll make myself get around to it by making it the film of the week. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm glad I did. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Yeah, this, this one was... Uh... You, you kind of almost expect them to break into a song and dance mm-hmm. uh, because it's, although it's not, you know, a, a, a according to Hoyle, 
uh, Bollywood movie, it's still made in India. And that is just something that's ingrained in the culture of filmmaking. Uh, they did have a narrative song. Aside from that, they kind of left that out of it and just got on with the story. And the story was very interesting. And uh, the horror element of it was horrifying, but not, you know, for experienced people like us in the, in the world of horror. We, you know, we're not likely to get scared by it, but... Uh, I, I found this uh, quite scary. It's is creepy. I didn't know... Mostly because I didn't know where it was going to go and how far they'd go, and it was it was yeah. surprising that it was going much further than uh, any other Indian movie that I I'd seen. Were you both surprised by the uh, the womb demon? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought okay, there's going to be something weird because we met the, <laughs> we met these sort of uh, barely kept alive ancient. Uh, whatever you want to call them, uh, ancestors. I guess you could just say. Uh, you know, there, there, <laughs> there's a lot of like, okay, this is some creepy cultural thing I don't understand. No, it, it, it was just some mythology or lore that you didn't see it coming when finally the, uh, you know, the camera does follow the man to what is it he's doing that he's coming back with gold? Right. And uh, the, the grandmother does mention she was the the one who was best capable of climbing. And then I think she even mentions a well. And uh, the, the young man took the initiative and figured out where the well was and what to do once he climbed down there. Uh, this, I don't know, Will, if you read up on this and if you did, I assume you did, Jolien, because you, you were um, yeah. turned on to this. Uh, filming took over five years. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I read. Yeah. They basically had one version done in uh, 2015, I think, and then they, they weren't satisfied with it. So they just reshot most of the movie. Yeah. Because he'd, he'd been working on this for much longer than that. He, he had this like 700 uh, page storyboard. Oh, man. The, the guy who wrote it, uh, Rahian El Bab. Uh, yeah, 700 <laughs> pages of storyboards. Um, yeah, so he, he, this has been in his head for a long, long time. And I got to say, wow. the, the visuals on this are really stunning. The like, mm, Beautiful. The whole movie yeah. is gorgeous. Uh, you, yeah. You know, even if you were for some reason not to be entertained by the story, you couldn't help but be kind of dazzled by the scenery and just yeah. everything that everything they did from the set building to... Uh, careful use of lighting, and I read a little bit about that. <laughs> Color, yes, yeah, mostly natural lighting. Yeah, yeah, just using lanterns. That's so. Some cool. of those shots were amazing. Yeah, yeah, they they kept it. So it's a period piece set in the twenties, and well, uh, it's, it's over thirty years. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, that's true. But uh, the modern the modern part of it. You know, the, the uh, contemporary part of it is supposed to be the 20s, isn't it? Well, it's very significant when it takes place because it starts in 1918 uh, with the mother. And she's the... Uh, should, should I give an outline for it for, for yeah. people who haven't seen give it? A little, uh, yeah, go ahead. So it starts in 19 and you've got... Uh, there's these two kids. One of them's Vinayak. His mother is the mistress of this guy who lives at this old mansion... 
and his name is Sarkar, and she like does him sexual favors and so on. And she's also the caretaker of Sarkar's grandmother, who is kept chained up in this room in her home. And uh, she looks so ancient. She looks like the uh, Motus Suspiriorum. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nails stuck in her. And uh, yeah, and you don't know what's up with her, but everyone's really scared of her. And, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, one of the boys is killed. And uh, then it, it goes forward to 1932. Uh, so what happened in 1918 historically was uh, this is all under the British Raj. Uh, so uh, you'd had the end of the Great War and you'd had the Russian Revolution. So the British are really afraid that all their colonies were going to rise up and kick them out. So they were really clamping down on the uh, places like India. Um, so it, it jumps forward to 1932 and Vinayak is an adult. He returns to the grandmother who's still alive, although she's really ancient, and she's turned into a tree. Um, he, but he gets the secret out of her of uh, uh, how to get the secret treasure from the old Sarkar mansion. Um, and this involves uh, this demon named Hasta, who is uh, he's made up for the movie. He's not an actual mythological creature. Uh, Hastur is the first son of the goddess of uh, prosperity and uh, she could provide all the gold and all the grain that everyone would ever need but he was greedy so he took all the gold and he was intent on getting all the grain too but uh, the other gods stopped him and then uh, he was uh, banished from history so there's no mention of him in uh, history or folklore or anything. But um, uh, Vinayak finds out uh, how to get the gold and uh, in, involves climbing into the womb of the goddess and he finds that uh, Hasta is very much uh, alive and cursed with always being hungry. Um, so uh, he figures out how to get the gold and uh, he's one of his uh, uh, acquaintances, who he owes a lot of money to at the start, is this uh, fellow called Raghav, who's getting into uh, making money off of opium. Opium was being pushed by the British uh, Empire as a way of controlling Asian countries. So, you know what we did with Hong Kong and so on. Yeah. Uh, basically made them buy our opium, made them addicts. Uh, we made a lot of money and got a lot of control. So we're doing basically the same thing with India. Uh, we're, we're promoting uh, opium crops. And uh, if uh, the locals wanted to buy into it, we'd promise them that they'd have greater power. And uh, uh, um, But uh, of course, that wasn't the case. Um, but anyway, so Raghav represents this kind of um, sucker for uh, being promises of power. So he comes to a bad end. Uh, then the story jumps uh, another few years to 1947, which is the year that uh, India became independent from the British. Um, 
thanks to uh, people like Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and this is where Vidyak has his own son, who's about the age that he was at the start of the movie, uh, called uh, Pandurai. And uh, uh, Pandurai comes up with his own scheme for getting even more of the gold. Um, so, uh, uh, so I think that's what makes this movie epic. Because on one level, you've got this family that's got this. Uh, their greed is their curse. Um, they're they're going through all these momentous times in history. He's getting this uh, endless supply of riches, but he's doing nothing for his country with everything he gets. Uh, you know, he's just hanging out, smoking opium, um, and then this. Uh, this curse is what turned his turned the grandmother into a monster. Uh, the same is probably going to happen to him, and the same is probably going to happen to his uh, his son um, if he goes down the same route. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's the general gist of the, the it, movie. I hope I didn't give too much away. No, no. Well, we are welcome to spoil it because we expect the listeners to probably watch the movie. Uh, it's worth mentioning that the uh, father sets up essentially a American Ninja Warrior style course for the young man, for his son, yes. to train to be able to go down and and uh, and uh, yank the uh, the uh, gold dispensing diaper off of the demon and, uh, <laughs> and then climb the rope. So, yeah. you know, what you didn't say... Uh, Basically, is that he has to distract the demon with a doll yes. made of dough, and while the demon's chow- yes. chowing down on this thing and, and uh, super distracted, uh, and you're inside a magic circle that protects you. You reach outside the circle, you yank the back of the loincloth. It, uh, you know, dispenses with the gold. You snatch up as much as you can and start climbing. I think. Right. Uh, there are probably ways he could have, I don't know, like maybe bring a, like a fishnet with you, you know, it's something, something you could just like, when you're ready to yank the thing, be ready to catch the gold. Don't try and quick pick it up from the ground, catch it in something. Mm. I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm looking for, <laughs> for maybe a better technique. <laughs> Not that I would ever have gone down this stupid well, but uh, it was fascinating because we got to see him do it a few times before they got the bright yeah. idea. The young man comes up, his son comes up with the idea of like, hey, dad, why don't we make a bunch of dolls and like super distract him and get all the girls. Right. <laughs> That's so good when it goes wrong. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I, I, have to, I have to ask you guys. Okay, does the demon split himself into several of himself, or do there happen to be... Why are there several of him? Because there's greed, more doll. Yes, greed is bottomless. Okay. You can, you can never have enough. Right, okay. So, huh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, all right, it's clearly supposed to be one dude, and then uh, as soon as there's several doe dolls then there's several demons which really messed up their plan yeah (laughs) that puts a crimp in his day didn't it yeah Yeah. now the the uh the digital effects were not bad uh they're never seamless and perfect unless you've got the kind of budget for like king kong or jurassic park but 
uh, as you like to say, Will, uh, it wasn't just being able to see all the ones and zeros. I mean, you, you could, you could see that it wasn't real, but it had a believability to it. At least I yeah, thought so. Yeah. Uh, Hustler was a, a costume a lot of the time. He was a guy in yeah. full, full body prosthetics. Yeah. And I guess I'm thinking more in terms of like him sort of spider walking down a wall or whatever. Right, right, right. You know, right. There, there was probably some wire work or some green screen stuff done, but it wasn't distracting, you know, like some stuff is where you don't really believe what you're seeing. It's like I could suspend my disbelief for what's on screen, which was a big bonus for this too. Like why go this far with all the years and all the work put into it and, and not spend a little more money and a little more time on it, which they did. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> I like that. He's got a crown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's nearly naked except for a gold crown. Uh, so, uh, and a loincloth. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's got, uh, the, the, the butt part of it is full of gold for some reason. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, you get to kind of see the abject poverty in places, but, uh, but quickly the, um, the main character rises to wealth and, and, uh, but he's hoarding it. He's not really, he's ratcheted up his lifestyle a little bit, but, uh, for the most part, he's just kind of stashing it away. Yeah. And, uh, always wanting more. Yeah. Not doing a thing for it, even his wife. Yeah, no, we just, yeah, got, yeah she's, she's just got to do all the housework and there's nothing in it for her. Really. And grind flour to sell. Yeah. Because it's never enough, is it? No. Yeah. I, another thing about the movie, it's like uh, criticizing the uh, patriarchy. Um, you know, it's, I mean, even with, uh, uh, like, uh, even with the revolution in 47, it was, uh, uh, you know, it's still a patriarchy. It's not a, uh, you know, it's, it's saying a, the greed and uh, abuse of women is is going to continue unless you change. Yeah, and I, uh, independence hasn't hasn't put an end to that. Now, I've, a little sidebar because you mentioned that. Um, every time the camera was going through the house during a, like a, a little social get together or whatever was going on or cutting through a village. You'd see that little text at the bottom of the screen that says smoking is hazardous to your health. Yes. Yeah. But smacking the shit out of your wife or your kid <laughs> d doesn't need a disclaimer for some reason. <laughs> yeah. That's the joke we made. We were like, Oh, well you can, you can, uh, you Send your friend down to be killed by Star, but uh, don't smoke. <laughs> yeah, you can backhand your kid and knock him down the stairs, as long as he or you are not smoking. And if you if your wife figures out that the woman who's staying at your house is your mistress, she's gonna probably uh, you know give her some lumps too. Yeah, but nobody's smoking, so no disclaimers there either. Yeah. Uh, I think he also broke his kid's leg at some point. Yeah, did, did they give... he says, I'll break your other leg. Yeah, that implies that he maybe broke the first leg, but... Yeah. 
I was wondering if the kid was born with like a club foot, but uh, it's... yeah, that's what I thought at first. He was, uh, you know, it was a birth defect, but uh, then he said, you know, I'll break your other leg. Made me think mm, maybe Dad always had a temper and <clears throat> broke his leg when he was little. Yeah, yeah, that was something else. Um, the the other question I had was, why don't you just move closer to Tumbad? You know, well, he doesn't. He wants to keep his secret. Yeah, but if it's yeah. ten miles away, instead, it seems like it's a hundred miles away. I don't know if they expressly say so. Yeah, they don't say how far it is, but uh, it's not that far. It seems like he's gone for like a few days when he goes. Mm-hmm. But uh, he he graduates from from hoofing it to motorcycle to motor car. So yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So oh, I would not want to ride a motorcycle through the monsoon. So. No, that seems miserable. Um, one of the things in production that I wanted to uh, wanted to wanted to ask you guys about was uh, well, Jolien specifically, you. Um, so our main character gained um, about eighteen pounds. Um, eight eight kilos or 18 pounds. And when I read this, uh, in the production took six years. So he tried to maintain the exact look of the character for the whole time, which he did successfully because it was pretty seamless. Um, I read that and I went, Oh, don't the English call that a a stone or something around that amount of weight? 14 pounds. 14 pounds is a stone, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, Cause it's easy to calculate. Yes. Multiplies easily. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's why, that's why Americans have held on to the, uh, the Imperial, uh, measurement system for all these years, even though, uh, the English have gone to the metric system. Uh, Jolien, do people still say, Oh man, you've, you've uh, lost two stone or you gained a stone or does anyone still say that kind of thing? Yeah, it is uh, an old-fashioned way of doing it, but uh, we we cling to that stuff. So people will yeah, I, they'll still I hear it quite often on British television. So yeah, so that it it hasn't gone away entirely. We're not no. we're not still measuring with qubits or anything like that. <laughs> I don't think that's from yeah. Your, from not, your, since, your, not since we kicked out the Egyptians. <laughs> That was from the elbow to the fingertip, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yes. That was the ancient Egyptian uh, method of measurement. Adult male elbow to uh, middle fingertip. And that's because all adult males are the same size? Yes. And they're all all kind of sideways and they're two-dimensional. Yes, yeah, yeah. Their their eye is pointed forward, whether their head is or not. Yes, got that all sorted out. So uh, yeah, the uh, the production of this, they did keep a consistency to the the lighting, the look of the film, uh, the characters themselves. I don't know if I, I didn't read whether the um, the wife or the mistress had their scenes shot over the course of the same number of years or not. Um. Clearly, the the young boys that you know the the main character and his brother 
with the little Ten Commandments ponytails, um, they were they were sort of uh, clearly shot over the course of a short enough amount of time to where they didn't age. But outside of that, I didn't read anything about the the adults. Um, but they but the consistency was there because nothing was like, oh wow, who's this? They they got a different actor or this person aged or anything like that. Yeah, that, that, the, I was the, surprised to read it this year to make this. Yeah, um, and it was two hundred minutes originally before they edited it down to a hundred, uh, hundred and five minutes or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. The, the first uh, when they did their first uh, version of it, as it were, the uh, the womb was just a dark room, uh, mm. and like when they when they did the do-over, it became the big wound set. But uh, I love those scenes where it's just like, they're just down to a match. <laughs> and it's lit probably like, uh, uh, you know, like uh, often in movies, uh, someone will strike a match and not these big floodlights will come on. Really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, you got like, you got the match light and you see nothing. There's <laughs> just darkness out, outside of it. Yeah, I always liked in old movies when someone would light a candle. Yeah big spot would come on and then you could see their shadow on the wall. Like, how does that work? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's funny um, that uh, you, you mentioned the lighting thing and movies because uh, one of the, one of the movies I didn't mention was uh, I just got about 20 minutes into hell night. Oh, right. And uh, the uh, Linda Blair one. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. They go to, so for the listeners, Hell Knight is about a, uh, a bunch of uh, sorority and, um, and fraternity pledges who have to go spend the night in a uh, reputably haunted mansion. When they, they shoot the lock off of the front gate and walk in, and then when they enter the mansion, there's already these massive candelabras that are lit. So... I mean, I don't want to pick the thing apart, you know, 15 minutes in, but at that point, it's like... I, I want to watch that one again. Yeah, it's it's on uh, Shudder, and, okay. and uh, I had never seen it. I always saw the box on the rental shelf and said, nah, it looks like crap. I thought, you know what? It's Linda Blair. It's the right period yeah. for it to be a fun 80s movie, and so I started watching it kind of late at night. But uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry I had to sidetrack on that one. But yeah, the lighting thing is always like, uh, all right, everyone gather around. I'm going to light a candle and this whole room will be well lit. Yeah, the uh, uh, the uh, director of photography is uh, Pankaj Kumar and he, he wanted to have no sunlight in the movie at all, even though a lot of scenes take place in day. Uh, you know, they wanted the monsoon, they wanted the heavy clouds. Um you know, even, even when they're in a, a, a town by daylight, you know, you, you get very little daylight coming through. Yeah, the movie is very damp, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's uh, like they, uh, it's like every day is, is a typical day in Seattle is what it feels like. <laughs> or but it's, the monsoon is something else, like... Uh, uh, I, I was in uh, Sri Lanka and, and uh, the, the monsoon was just about to come on and uh, they had it down to the, you know, almost to the minute. I said, oh, it's going to happen at this time. And so that 
everyone went into the, the bungalow and and uh, and you could just you just uh, look out and it was dry and then this wall of water comes down is is amazing wow yeah that that had to have been miserable for um, for all of the people in uh, Vietnam uh, during the war because could you imagine having all that gear strapped to your back? And then the monsoon comes roaring through and you're just not just carrying a hundred pounds of crap in a pack, but you're also soaked. Oh, that had to been terrible. And then the getting shot at thing too, but, uh, you know, that's a, that's always a bummer. So it seems like this should have gotten more notoriety in the, in not to say it's the same exact kind of thing, but like, uh, train to Busan. It's like, Oh, this is a foreign film. It's it's really eye popping. It's amazing. Why aren't we hearing more about this? What do you guys think? Is Indian um, cinema just getting uh, the the Bollywood uh, assumptions, or what do you think it is? What do you think, Will? Not sure. Yeah. Uh, perhaps zombies are a little easier sell. Mm. Yeah. Than uh, demons and. Uh, goddess's wounds with gold coins. <laughs> <laughs> That's subgenre. <laughs> We're sick to death you know, of seeing uh, another one of those. <laughs> so, uh, do you, do you think if... goddess womb movie <laughs> <laughs> with the gold and the greed and yeah? So, if you weren't aware of uh, the history, the context of it, uh, would you still enjoy it? Do you think? Or would it just have less uh, substance, but you still enjoy it? Well, to be honest, I was only vaguely aware of some of the things that you had mentioned. I knew about the British occupation. I knew that there was eventually, and I didn't know exactly what year, uh, there was eventually the um, independence of India. And uh, only having... um, some uh, vague awarenesses of the historical high points. I still really can say that uh, I was uh, thoroughly invested in the movie. Okay, good. And uh, and it was like, oh yes, I know yeah, that. Yeah, uh, I know this happened around this year, around this time. Like I was assuming it was all you know around the nineteen twenties ish. You know, is it is it nineteen eighteen? Is it nineteen twenty four? I don't know the years on this stuff but it still totally worked. How about you, Will? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I know a little bit more. I've seen Gandhi. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I thought it was, uh, when, the, when the movie started, I had no idea what year it was until we saw a truck. Right. I didn't really know for sure. I mean, the little boy said something like, in in Poon, they uh, they have cars that, or carriages that move without horses. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know if that was fanciful or if he was describing automobile. Right. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was just unclear at first uh, until we saw a car. And even then, I wasn't quite sure. I knew it was probably the twenties by then, based on the vehicle itself. And then you can kind of tell the car style changing. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. One of the things I liked was that it didn't spell things out. It didn't explain things to you. Yeah. It just let you figure things out. Uh, even in the filmmaking, it, it doesn't show you everything all at once. Uh, you know, you, you realize that something's going on. You're not quite sure what it is. Uh, and then you realize what it is, and it's all the more effective. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was really nice. Yeah. And uh, too often, yeah, they want to explain everything. They throw up a date and the place. And, uh, uh, you know, we didn't know quite what the little clay or the little dope poppet was when he first brought that out. Right. So you were like, what is, what is going on with this? And yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, now, I always, when something is a period piece like this, I always have to ask myself, if this were set in a different period or in modern times, would it be a disservice to the story? And other than transportation, I think this could have been set in modern times and not have uh, done any harm to the story. But it just shows a lot of uh, thoughtfulness and ambition to make it not just all period piece, but but something that went across a, a couple periods of time, uh, important periods in history. So uh, yeah, I mean that's that's saying that's saying a lot about the filmmaker and their their ambition, because it's not easier to just say, all right, let's go find some you know nineteen twenties cars now. You know it, it's it's yeah been, it's been. They, this, they, they were not interested in making this easier for themselves, you know. They, were, <laughs> no. they deliberate, deliberately filmed during the monsoon season. <laughs> with, with no artificial lighting if they could help it. And yeah. <laughs> and it has to be set in specific periods of time where you can't yeah. sh- show any power, power poles or modern vehicles right. or modern clothing. <laughs> the, the lead actor had to wear uh, his uh, Son Shah, who's also one of the co-producers, um, he, he had to wear contacts all the time uh, to make his eyes that kind of light grayish color because they wanted him to look like a sp- specific Brahmin family. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that's the level of uh, storytelling they, they're going for. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. It, it, I, you can imagine that the, uh, the poor guy playing uh, Hasta. Uh, they, they took hours making him up, and that's like a full, full body makeup job. Yeah. And you imagine that during monsoon season oh. under oh. artificial lights uh, and everything. That must, that must have been incredibly hot. Yeah, that, yeah. that had to have been miserable for him. <laughs> yeah, he, he probably lost a lot of weight doing that. You'd think so. Uh, Yeah, I I can say that I lost about 10 pounds remodeling an upstairs bedroom over the course of about three weeks. Uh, You know, just the heat of being on on a second story and I wasn't covered in latex. (laughs) At least least not at the time. (laughs) Uh, So do you think that... uh, Filmmakers, and without having done any further reading on this, 
and certainly not knowing whether they have something else planned. Do you think somebody does something this ambitious and says, Oh God, never again. (laughs) (laughs) Or do they say, wow, I want to just jump right back into that. I don't know. Uh, It says he started writing it in 1997 or something. So it's a long time. Never, not counting the six years of filming, just how long, you know, how long does it take to produce 700 pages of uh, storyboard? That's (laughs) a lot of work. So we'll be hearing from him in 2030. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) he does want to, he does want to do another uh, pasta story. Well, that would be pretty cool. I would watch another one. I mean, it doesn't have to be a direct sequel, but you know, if you want, if you if you want to go further down into the mythology of this demon, go ahead. So, uh, yeah. Is is there anything else about the movie that you guys want to uh, touch on or, or talk about before we wrap it up? Nope. Well, no, I don't think so. Then I have to ask, uh, as far as recommending this movie, um, first of all, can you recommend this movie to a non-horror fan and have them get something significant out of it? I think so. Joey, yes. You, okay, because the the gory parts, the scary parts, aren't something your average person can't handle. That's kind of my thinking on it. Um, Horror fans, do you think horror fans will get from this what they want? And can you recommend yeah. it to them? Yeah. Yes. Especially the the beginning with the grandmother part was especially creepy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she's got the spikes <laughs> kind of crisscrossed through her face yeah. to hold her uh, mouth shut. Even before you see it, you don't know quite what's going on. What old woman do they have that stays asleep? What is this? Yeah, that toe-cutting scene. Yeah. And why do you got to feed her with a funnel? And what's going to happen if you don't feed her? It is, it's creepy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to say there's certainly enough there for horror fans. Uh, if they need it to be an immediate machete chase, you know, that lasts 20 minutes, they're not going to be satisfied. But uh, if, if, if uh, your average horror fan can be a little patient and understanding, they're going to get a really good ride out of this one, I think. And it doesn't have to be two hours long to do it. You know, that's the cool part. It's, it's, yeah, they keep it under two hours <laughs> yeah. for, for such an epic tale. Um, so I guess recommends all the way around then, huh? Yeah. Cool. Strong recommend. Cool. Cool. Will, are you, are you just uh, pleasantly surprised to have something this good after being uh, not quite as enthralled by Gretel and Hansel? Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Kept, we kept you in the podcast for another week. See, this is what uh, dedication and hard work in film will get you. <laughs> I mean, they didn't fall down on any part of it. Yeah, they, they figured out the story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't have a whole lot of little idiots in it either. On that note, Will, have you chosen anything for next week? Did, have we ever reviewed My Bloody Valentine? No. Do you, um, do you want to do that for uh, Valentine's Day? That was kind of my thought, but I wanted to make sure that we hadn't reviewed it. We have not. I've gotten to the point where I can't remember anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, 
It looks like it's on Prime Video. I think you're right. The uh, the I'm talking about the 1981. One, yeah. Not the uh, 2009 remake or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we we wouldn't want to do a remake of something like that or or Demon Knight or anything. Or I'm sorry, yeah. Night of the Demons. Um, so I got to ask, uh, with there being a triple whammy, maybe a quadruple whammy, we've got Valentine's Day, Women in Horror Month, um, it's Black History Month, and uh, we're going to need to do our Wintry 3. And I know that here in Denver, we haven't been super inspired yet, and I don't want to give away our best kept secret, but uh, it's been a mild winter. But we should probably be thinking about all of those things for February, maybe early March. Okay. Uh, but my bloody Valentine, I say we do it. I'm I'm on board. Jolie, and you cool? All right. all right. Oh, yeah, I've got the new Blu-ray. Ooh, nice. Awesome. All right. Well, should we call it a show? Let's call it okay. a show. Awesome. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. Yeah, the morning.